Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Happy New Year, everybody. It is 2022, and it's almost time for Supercross. This is the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast before we jump into a little bit of a Supercross preview. Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Grantstone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, and Fly Racing, and I could not be more excited to have all those partners on board as we embark into, what, is this year three of the podcast? And it just keeps getting better. I'm feeling more comfortable kind of in my own skin with the show, and we found some direction. And as most of you know, the show's really built around the Sunday after each race, right? I take a look at what happened on the prior Saturday night, give my thoughts and opinions. You know, I'm at almost every race throughout the year, and that counts MXGP events too in Europe and all kinds of things. So there's a lot that goes on that I think people at home that aren't as fortunate, or I guess if you hate traveling, you are not tasked with uh, traveling to all these races because it's travels pretty rough these days. But there are so many things that I don't believe get covered, and I think that People like Steve Mathis and Jason Wigan and Daniel Blair and all these people that do these shows, like myself, that's really what we're trying to get across. You know, the, the behind-the-scenes nuances and rumors and things that are never going to make it onto a television broadcast or even into a magazine or anything, these are the avenues that we can share this stuff. And if you look at stick and ball sports, there's a ton of that. You know, whether it's Twitter, guys like Adam Schefter and all these guys, that's where you know, they kind of make their name is sharing a lot of that stuff. And, and for me, I don't really like to get into the speculation or, or I guess the rumor mill so much. I just, to me, that's not my thing. I don't like to break news or have scoops like Steve does. That's fine. And there's a place for that. But I, I really like more analyzing the racing itself. You know, I raced Supercross for 15, 16 years, something like that. Um, and I've been around it my entire life. So I feel like I have a pretty unique perspective on some of those things. And I feel like I'm qualified to have an opinion, uh, on a lot of that stuff. And maybe the only, you know, area that I, I should have an opinion, I guess, unless you're going to talk about the apparel side of the world with fly racing, I, I certainly have been around that enough to have an opinion, but it's fun for me too. You know, it's my passion. I love this sport. Um, I, I don't wish I was still racing. You know, I, I can be honest about that, but I love going to the races. I love watching it. I love talking about it, you know, and I still get excited each and every Saturday night, you know, when, when the lights turn on for opening ceremonies, like I'm 
probably the most excited person there. I'm not jaded by it. I don't, I don't get burnt out from it. A little bit of the travel. I mean, I think everybody that goes to race after race after race gets a little burnout on the travel, but I'm still excited every time, you know, the guys are behind the gate waiting for it to drop. Uh, my adrenaline's up, my heart rate's up, and I don't think that's ever going to go away. I'm certainly excited for this 2022 season. I think there, it, there are so many storylines this year and so many different guys that can win. And everybody's kind of coming into their prime. You know, we have the current kind of the stars where it's Tomac and Webb and Rocks and these guys that have been perennial powerhouses. They're still in their prime, which is great. But then you have these younger guys that are, they're developing quickly and at some point they're going to reach their potential and that, that time is coming. Right. And, and a lot of these supercross preview shows, we've talked about that a little bit. Is this that time is 22 that year or will it be 23 or 24? You never really know. Uh, it, it always happens, right? There, there is always a changing of the guard and you go back to, you know, I, I like to look at it first kind of like 1994 McGrath takes over. He, it takes him five races, I think, in that 94 season to really break out. But then he goes on and wins a ton of races that season, wins a title, and he doesn't really let go of dominance. Okay, and you want to talk about 97. He switched to Suzuki and lost, but that was kind of the outlier. If Honda doesn't change the motorcycle, I think he stays at Honda and he wins a 97 too. But he doesn't really relinquish the reins of the sport until... Carmichael rips it away from him in 2001. And I think if Carmichael hadn't come along, you would have seen McGrath continue to be the guy 0-1-0-2-0-3. I, I really believe that. Uh, I think Carmichael kind of broke him mentally, forced him to make uh, some drastic changes. Like he tried the KTM thing. He, he tried a lot of different fitness things for the 0-2 season that didn't work. But I think Carmichael forced that change and, and, or otherwise I just think McGrath continues doing what he was doing. I don't think there would have been some drastic shift. Um, then you move into, you know, Chad Reed shows up in 04. He wins because Carmichael's hurt. And then they, they set off into a battle for the 05 season. James Stewart joins the fray. And that was really the next change, right? You, you see Carmichael exit stage left in 2007, and then it's the Chad Reed and James Stewart era. And you could even argue the, the Stewart era past that. Uh, Stewart goes 24-0 in outdoors. You know, there, there was a lot of winning there. And then they are the, the alphas until Ryan Villapoto. And we knew that Villapoto was coming. You could see his level of performance in the 250 class but then we didn't know when, right? You, that, that's the, always the question is, when is that going to happen? So then you see him show up, oh, as well as Dungey, and then 11, 12, 13, 14 is the Ryan Villapoto show, and he takes over that stretch. Then you have more Dungey winning, and then, you know, it's, so it's this constant involvement of who, who's going to win, who is the guy, and I think... Long story short, I think we're entering that era where it's going to happen again soon, right? Because you see Webb wins in 19, Tomac wins in 20, Webb wins in 21. And I, I do have, full disclosure, I have Webb winning the title in 22 again. But I think we're on the cusp of seeing some younger guys make the move up. 
You look at guys like Chase Sexton, Adam Cincerillo, Aaron Plessinger. These guys are coming. Um, I don't know how Ferrandez fits into that because, you know, he is a unique one where his placement in the sport is kind of on the same level of Sexton where he's just moved into the 450 class, but his age is the differentiator where he's, you know, 27, 28, 29. I don't, I don't know. He's somewhere late 20s, right? So he is in a different place maturity-wise and experience-wise than those other guys are, but not necessarily on the Supercross stage. So how does that play out, right? Who's to say? I, I don't know. But his age certainly is in a, in a much different place career-wise than a guy like Sexton or Cincerillo. So they are on the, the breakout phase of their career, though, even though they're at different ages. Um, the question is, when does the shift come? It is inevitable, right? Cooper Webb and Tomac and these guys aren't going to win forever. We, we know that. It's, it is a, a nonstop process of guys coming in, they reach their prime, they win their titles, and then they either their performance falls off or they retire or both, right? And that, that is just the natural evolution of the sport. Nothing wrong with it. it will, that will never change. But my, I guess my question that I keep coming back to is this the year or not? With me choosing Webb as, as my favorite to win the championship, I, I guess I have to say not. But I do think we see some new race winners. I think Sexton gets his first race win. I think Ferrandis gets his first race win. I think Cincerillo gets his first race win. So that is going to take us closer to that evolution where you see one of those guys in 2023 win the championship. That, that's kind of what I'm predicting. Those guys take steps forward. They continue that process. And then in 2023, one of them, and I don't know who, could be AP, could be any of the guys I mentioned, they take that next step. I just don't think it's yet. I think watching Cooper Webb, I was fortunate enough to get him to go watch him ride a couple weeks ago, and man, did he look good. The new bike looked really, really strong as far as what some of his weaknesses were, you know, and we always point to the whoops as being an area where he could be better. I think that bike has helped him quite a bit. His fitness looked great. And mentally, he just looked ready to go win again. Um, you know, it's not going to be easy. We know how good Roxon is. We know how, motiva- how motivated Tomac will be after that Yamaha switch. You have all these guys that I'll, I'll talk about. But I just really liked what I saw from Cooper Webb. And it was just one day, right? It was on a track that he had ridden a bunch. But you want to talk about solid. He looked pretty damn solid. So... Uh, Eli Tomac, I mentioned briefly, I don't know what to think. Uh, you know, clearly it was a big shift, right? He leaves Kawasaki after several years there. And I mean, he won a lot at Kawasaki, right? He, he finally got that Supercross title in 2020, won several motocross titles, a ton of races, right? His, his status and, and legacy in the sport is cemented. Doesn't matter how he does on the Yamaha, in my opinion. As far as long term, uh, he will go down as one of the best ever. I, you know, I, I don't think that's really disputable if you just look at the record books and and the sheer volume of winning he has done. Uh, that that's secure. But I think for him to make this big move to Yamaha, a lot of people are going to 
want to see success to validate that move because I think it would have been very easy for him to stay at Kawasaki. I, from what I understand and, and sources that I trust, he was offered a lot of money to stay at Kawasaki and he decided to make a move to Yamaha because he thought that he could do better on the Yamaha than he was doing at Cali. And there, there have been a lot of rumors and speculation that he wasn't able to make changes to the Kawasaki that he wanted to. And there's a, there was a lot of push and pull between he and the Kawasaki technicians and engineers that he wasn't happy with. Now, I don't know that that's, that's all fact, but I'm sure there is something to that. Otherwise, you wouldn't hear it over and over from people that generally have access to, to solid information. And it seems like that the technicians at Yamaha that he had previously worked with, right, um, suspension and chassis-wise, were open to making sweeping changes and really allow him to steer the motorcycle the way he wanted to do it. So we'll see if that works or not, right? He is going to have to be the one that lives with that decision. But if you're Yamaha, of course you take on Eli Tomac. That, that seems like a no-brainer. He is arguably the best rider in the sport, right? I know he didn't win the titles last year. I, I get it. But it's really hard to dispute the fact that he's one of the best, if not the best rider in the sport. Uh, you just look at the consistency over the years, and if you have to go into any singular race and say, okay, I want to pick this guy, whether it's indoors or out, I have to pick one guy that I think is going to win today, how, how would you not pick Eli Tomac? It's just really hard to do if you're looking at just a percentage play. So I think he's going to do well. I am very curious to see how January goes for him because I have gone through history. You know, his January performances have not been good. He just, it's just a slow starter. Even, you know, his title year in 20, he wasn't great in January. So I think that if he struggles in January, people are going to jump to conclusions when they really shouldn't because that's kind of been the norm. You know, I think on the other side of that argument, if you see Tomac come out swinging at Anaheim, we go into Oakland and San Diego and Anaheim, and he's doing really well. He's winning races and podiums. That's a really scary sign for the rest of the guys because that would be above his average. That would be out of the norm to the plus side for Eli Tomac in January. So just watch for that. But I wouldn't get carried away if things aren't going exactly to plan the first few rounds. Just just keep that in mind. I think it's an underreported trend is that he doesn't really get rolling until February and March. And then once that ball seems to get going or you know kind of rolling downhill in his direction, it's really difficult for anyone to, uh, to get him off that. So that, that's what I would be paying attention when it comes to Eli Tomac is don't get carried away in January. If he's better than, if he's better than history dictates though, that could be a really positive sign. Jason Anderson made the big switch from Husky to Monster Energy Kawasaki. And I, I think that he's going to be better than people are expecting uh, we, we did a little Twitter spaces thing the other night, myself and uh, some of our Pulpamex fantasy crew. We also did the Supercross preview videos for Racer X a couple weeks ago that are now rolling out. And I'm big on Jason Anderson's chances. I think he wins a race in 2022. Remember, he hasn't won in a while. You know, he was your 2018 champion, and we have not seen him be anywhere near as good as he was since that year. 
And I believe a little bit of his own effort is to blame. I think, you know, once he got that championship under his belt in 18, I think he, and fairly so, believed that his career would always be labeled a success. And I think he took that opportunity to back it down a little bit, not be quite as serious, not be as dedicated to his craft as he was in that, you know, 17 off season and 2018 season. Now that's totally fine. I I don't blame him. You know, I don't know if he regrets it or not. You know, if going back in history, would he say, okay, I did it in 18. I I don't have to work as hard for 19, 20, 21. Um, I can, I can relax a little bit more and spend more time hanging out. I don't know. You know, that that's only for him to decide. Uh, But I don't think that's where he is right now. And that that's really the most important factor is I think he's kind of pushed himself back all in for this 2022 season, because I think he understands the opportunity for kind of a career reset here with his switch to Kawasaki. I think he was a little bit uh, in a rut at Husky, not necessarily in a downtrend as far as career, but I just don't think there was a lot of motivation there for him. I don't think he was super excited about the situation. I think he was just kind of going through the motions. You know, he was making a lot of money based off of his success and and he deserves it. He's a great rider. He's a former champion. He's really marketable. You know, he has that team fried angle that speaks to a very specific customer base, but I don't necessarily think he had that same fire that he had in 2018. I just don't, I haven't seen it in his riding or his personality or anything in a while. I think we're going to see it again in 22. I really do. I think you're going to see him be really aggressive with other riders. I think you're going to see him trying to go for race wins and just pushing, pushing the the envelope and the edge much more than he has recently. There had just been, and this is my perception, there's just been complacency in his riding and in his program that I don't think we're going to see in 2022. So maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but that's my take. Now, his teammate, Adam Cincerillo, uh, I'm always big on Cincerillo. I'm a, I'm a fan of him more than anything. He has been a little banged up lately. He, he had a crash in December that I don't know what the effect will be come January. You know, typically having a setback that late in the program is not ideal because you can lose that, you know, razor sharpness that you want to have going into Anaheim 1. And we've seen in the past how good AC is at these, these early rounds. He, he typically comes out swinging right away. So I don't know if we see that or not. Um, I have more questions than I do answers for AC. And, and it's really just around, you know, the injury and the setback that he had. Now, he's been able to train. You know, we see him running and doing all these things. But there hasn't been a lot of riding, I don't believe. Um, I think he banged up his shoulder a little bit. I don't know the exact details of how severe that injury was. He obviously hasn't spoken about it at all, which is kind of the norm, you know, for the sport guys don't really talk about injuries or setbacks because of whatever perceived confidence they might give other riders or whatever, right? That, that's just always uh, something that goes on in our sport. No one ever talks about how hurt they are. Or if they're hurt at all, we just have to kind of speculate. So we'll see what AC shows up with at Anaheim, but I wouldn't be shocked if he's just a little off, um, whether that's fitness or just that extra little bit you need to be at the front 
you know, maybe he shocks us all and grabs a whole shot and, and is in the mix. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be too surprised if, uh, you know, it's just kind of an, he eases into this series a little bit coming off of that. Justin Brayton, similar to that. And he was, he's a little beat up too. He had a crash in December and had to take some time off the bike. You know, Brayton's one of those guys that usually comes into the series really hot. Um, he, he races a lot in the off season and he gets a lot of gate drops, you know, under his belt and he comes in really sharp. Now, does this setback and crash that he had take that away? I, I don't know. You know, he, he didn't or wasn't able to do the Australia series. You know, he did do the one race in Paris, so I'm sure that helped him a bit. But I don't know if we're going to see that same trend from Brayton where he comes into the series just overly prepared because the, the process and the reason for all of that preparation wasn't there. He didn't have all those races. He didn't have the same December because he was, he was forced to take some time off the bike. So again, more questions than answers for Brayton. I think he'll be fine. And maybe him being forced to take some time off in December will help him later in the series. Because if you've really paid attention to Justin Brayton's trend, he's always been the guy that's super hot early and then kind of trails off late. And I believe that is just a fatigue factor. He does all this racing in the offseason. He's in Australia. He's traveling the globe. Comes in really prepared in January, but that is really difficult to maintain over the course of the next five months. And I know that trend very well because I suffered from the same thing. I raced all over the place. And by the time I got to Anaheim, I was already pretty tired. You know, I, I was multiple months of racing deep and different countries and continents by then. And I was jet lagged and tired. Now my form was good. I, I was really sharp. I was ready to go as far as the motorcycle goes, but you know, I can remember being in the pits at, for A1 being like, man, I am worn out. I am tired and just trying to get my body back recovered because I had just flown in from Germany the weekend before, right? And I was still jet lagged and beat up where everybody else I was racing against was just amped, right? They had been resting and preparing and focusing on this Anaheim one event where I had been all over the place trying to win German championships and you know, going through customs all over the place and jet, you know, just jet set all over the world. And then I had to like try to sleep a bunch the, the days coming up to A1 and I was taking naps and all kinds of stuff. Like I would get IVs, like vitamins and stuff. I was just trying to get back to a hundred percent before what everybody would consider the biggest race of the year. I, I was not in the same level of, of rested and recovered that a lot of these other guys were. So maybe that helps Brayton down the stretch. Maybe he's more rested going into the series and he doesn't have that burnout factor throughout March, April, and May. We'll see, right? Dylan Ferrandis, another guy I want to touch on. I briefly mentioned him earlier, but I'm curious to see what Ferrandis does, right? We all watched how brilliant he was in Lucas Oil Pro Motocross, and I do mean amazing. Uh, he was the best rider in American motocross last summer. No question about it. Now, Supercross doesn't come as easily for him. And David Billman's been pretty straightforward about that. Is he's just not as good at the Supercross game as he is outdoors. I know they've put in a ton of work, right? That whole Monster Star Yamaha team moved to Florida. So what is the result of that? It, can he 
take the confidence and the experience he gained winning that championship last summer, can he bring that indoors? You know he's going to be more confident, right? That's just a natural process. He won. He beat all these guys. He's, he should not be intimidated or as intimidated as he was before because he, he just systematically decimated everybody last summer, and that is going to have a residual effect over your psyche no matter if you're indoors or out. Now, the, the real question is, can he avoid the crashes and all of the inconsistency that he had last Supercross season? Because if you really look under the surface, he was really fast last year. There were, you know, he got, he got a second place at Houston, right? And, but he was just never able to really replicate that. There were rounds, though, like Orlando. I think he should have been on the podium. He had some sort of uh, front brake issue. Uh, Arlington, he was crazy fast and Anderson takes him out. So there were flashes of it last year. He could just never really consistently make good on it. That's what I'm going to be looking for, for from Ferrandis is evening out those peaks and valleys, right? On your bad nights, you get a fifth on your good nights. You're on the podium. That's really what he needs to turn the corner in supercross. He needs to find ways to avoid the 15th place and the cra- where he crashes three times in one main event because that was happening to him last, last year. I was constantly putting him on my Pulp MX fantasy team and I was constantly regretting it because he just could not hold it together. I don't, and I don't know if that's a mental thing or lack of experience in Supercross. You know, it was his first year in the 450 class, so that could certainly be it. But again, that's what I want to see from Ferrandis is just even things out, right? Your bad nights have to be less catastrophic than they were in 2021. And then the good nights, you need to capitalize, right? If you're fast and you get a good start, which that's another factor, his starts were god-awful in 2021. He needs to sort out whatever that problem was coming off the grate and get good starts to put himself in plus situations. And by plus situations, I mean, right, neutral, decent start, not great, and then you have to fight your way forward. A plus situation, you start at the front, and then it's just on you to not screw it up. Because I think he'll be plenty fast. You just can't crash. You can't let yourself get taken out by guys, right? If, if somebody has a block pass made, you need to be willing to check up and let them have the pass and then get them back somewhere else. That's what he didn't do when Jason Anderson took him out in Arlington. Anderson is a pro at making block passes. And if you don't give him the line when he's got it, you're going to end up on the ground. You will crash because Anderson's going to finish you off. So you have to be willing to check up and say, okay, you got me. I'll get you back in a couple laps, right? And, and that's just a learning process and knowing who will take you out and who won't, right? Because Roxon in that same scenario, Roxon probably wouldn't have knocked him down. He would have been... He would have given him a little bit more room. He would have probably gotten the pass still made, but it wouldn't have come out as such a negative result. So it's knowing who you're racing against is a big part of the sport. And I went through it myself, right? If Vince Freezy was up my inside, I knew that if I didn't let him have the line, I was going to end up on the ground where there were other guys that I trusted like Nick way. If Nick did it, I could trust that I could still stay in my line. And even though he was going to make the pass, he wasn't going to knock me down. So it, that, that's a big part of it is no, knowing who you're racing. And, and I think that was a learning process for Ferrandis because a lot, he had never raced a lot of those guys. And that's just, that just comes from experience.
Uh, a couple other guys, Barsha. I think Barsha should be really strong going in, right? If you look at consistency in his program, the same motorcycle somewhat, right? He, he's working with the same crew, the same staff, the same training program. I think it's been a pretty uh, quiet offseason for him, which that's a good thing. You just get to put in the work, put in the laps, do things the right way. Uh, so I, I'm looking for a lot of positives from Justin Barsha, especially in January. For whatever reason, he comes into the series with a ton of confidence. We've seen how many times he's won the opening round, and I don't expect a, much difference. The question for Barsha really is, can he sustain that success? That's always been the challenge for him is to be able to hold on to the winning ways as the series goes into February, March, April, May. He just hasn't been able to do that. And if he ever wants to make good on championship aspirations, that's what it's going to take. Because I think if it was, if the championship was just a January series, he might be a multi-time champion. He is that good. He can beat anybody in the sport early in the series, but I don't know if it's the way he trains or who knows, right? I'm sure he has asked himself the same question is why can't I sustain this level of performance as the series grows long? And I, that may never happen. He may never, never be able to figure that out. It could be something in his genetic makeup where he's not able to sustain that high of performance week after week after week. He just may, he may falter, right? His, his level of fitness may falter. His ability to have that fast twitch uh, response may falter. I don't know, right? I'm not a, a clearly not a doctor, but I know from looking at history and his trend line and his results, something goes on there. So if I was in his corner, if I was working with his team and trainers, that's what I would be most focused on is let's do the same things that we have made us successful early in the series. But what can we do to make sure that we are this good when April's here? Because if we can do that, then we will go into the final rounds with a chance to win this championship. Uh, who else? Sexton, uh, I'm big on Sexton. I just don't know if it's time yet. I think it's coming. I think 23 will be Sexton's year for championship contention. I just don't think it's going to be quite here yet. And I'll tell you why. I think there will be rounds where he just screws up. And that's just a product of him being still super young. You're ha he's having to race against seasoned veterans like Webb and Tomac and these guys that they just don't throw races away. They don't make critical mistakes at critical times to allow someone who will to stick around in a series. Because I do think there will be races where Sexton makes a big mistake, throws it away, and gives away 20-plus points on a weekend. That's just going to happen. I, I just think he's still in a, you know, he's still immature, not, not as a person, but in his, in his racing makeup. I don't think he has every single process ironed out yet. And it is coming. I truly believe it is coming for Chase Sexton. I'm a fan of his ability, his work ethic, and I don't think he's intimidated, which is a big factor for the 450 class is don't, who, who cares about the names on the back of the jerseys? You are paid to beat those guys. And, and I think Sexton believes he can. I just think there are going to be a couple of rounds in 2022 that – eliminate him from 
having any shot at the championship. And it could come at any time. It, it could be the first round or the middle of the round or whenever. I just think he'll have a crash and you'll be like, damn, Sexton just lost 25 points tonight. That might be too much for him to overcome. Because I don't think he is going to be dominant enough to make up for one really bad night. It could just be one, and that could take him out because I think he'll be good. He'll be right in there with the mix, right? He'll have some podiums. I think he'll get a race win. I think he'll have a couple rough nights too where he gets eighth. And eighth won't eliminate from a championship. Crashing out and getting last in a main event will. And I just, I don't know why. I just think it's going to happen. I think he's going to be pushing the envelope a lot because he's going to feel like he can win. And when you push the edge week after week after week, I think it catches up with you eventually. We've seen that happen with Cincerillo a lot. Um, and that's what the guys like Webb are able to avoid because Webb can win without taking too many risks, right? They're, they're, you have to take risks to win. That is a fact. But if you take too many risks and you push that edge consistently, it will bite you. That is just how this sport works. And guys like Webb, Guys like Tomac, guys like Roxon, they have figured out ways to win without going past the edge. They can ride within their limits and in control and still win. And that's where Chase Sexton is going to get to. That's the step he has to grow into. I just don't think it's going to be in 22. I think 2023 is that, that maturity level that he you know, continues his growth process where age and talent and equipment and all those things all gel together to make you your best self. I just think, I think it's just coming, right? I just don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, so those are kind of the guys I had notes on. AP, I should mention too. Mookie. I think those guys are going to be great. I could see them winning a race. I really can. Um, AP, I don't know. I think he's going to be great. I just don't know with all the change, right? Is it going to be better or worse? Because remember, he's switching bikes, switching teams, brand new KTM, moves to Florida, gets with Alden Baker. That's a lot of change. And when you throw that much change into the mix, who the hell knows what happens? Is that better than you were when you had years of consistency with the same team and the same Yamaha and the same trainer in Swanepoel? All those things were pushing you forward. And we saw the best AP we've ever seen last year. You switch everything for 2022. I just don't know what that means. I don't know if that's better or worse or the same. Uh, so I don't have any real preconceived notions for AP. I'm more wait and see. Um, I know the team he's on, the bike he's on, and the trainer he's with are great. So those are all positives. I just don't know when you change your entire life and everything other, you know, like family, of course not, but everything associated with racing saw a fundamental change in the last few months. I don't know what that means when the gate drops. So we'll see. Mookie kind of the same, switches teams, switches trainers. Uh, he looks like he's lost a lot of weight, which I think will help him, right? I think it'll help him at the end of main events. He's going to be more fit, which will bring more confidence, but I don't have any real preconceived notions either. Uh, the one thing I would ask, or I don't ask, but the one thing I want to see from Mookie, I want to see him taking more chances. I think he was really sick of getting hurt, and I think he really toned down the risk 
that he was willing to take. Now, I don't blame him. I get it. Getting hurt sucks. We saw him break his femur at Glendale, right? It was just this, this pattern of taking huge risks, going way over the edge of what tolerable risk was, and then he would pay the price. He would get hurt. Now, in those moments before he crashed, there was crazy excitement. I mean, just unbelievably great riding and got everybody out of their seats. And I think he created a ton of Mookie fans in those moments, but that's not sustainable. You, if you're going to continue to crash and hurt yourself like that, you're going to find yourself out of the sport quickly. So I understand the fundamental shift of how he approached his racing, where he toned it down some. He was a consistent top 10 guy week in and week out, and then was even working towards top fives and found himself in the top five some. But I think if he really wants to take the next step, he wants to win his first race. He wants to be a consistent podium guy. He's going to have to mix in a little bit of risk, right? And that's the, that's the slippery slope is like, how do you push the edge a little bit and know when it's the right time to push without going over the edge and getting back to the 2018 Mookie where you're way out in the left field as far as you're pushing way too much. You're going to hurt yourself consistently riding like that. So I just think that's something he'll probably have to work with Alden a lot on. I'm sure they've addressed it as like, okay, Mookie, you are capable of going faster than anyone. And I believe that. I believe he can go faster than anyone on the racetrack if he wants to take those risks. But I also think if he does that, he's going to wind up in the hospital, which that, you know, that's not going to work for anybody. That, that's not an a, a acceptable plan. So how do you find the perfect gel between taking a little bit more risk but also finishing 17 rounds and making sure that you're there at Salt Lake and healthy. Um, so we'll see that that's what I would want it to see a little bit of that come back. And uh, I'm excited for Mookie though. I think if he went all in, which I'm sure he did with Baker's program, honestly, the sky's the limit. Now I don't have him being the champion or in championship contention, but if you wanted a wild card outside shot at someone who's not being talked about, that's where I would point is Mookie because I think the potential and his ceiling is so high because of his talent. Uh, so we'll see, right? He adds so much to the series, and I think he could be he could be a big story, man. If he comes out and wins races and is in the hunt, I think you will see the star that is Mookie explode, right? Because you have the fact that you know he is a minority in a predominantly Caucasian sport. And that's just, that's just what it is, right? We saw the th same thing with James Stewart, right? There are so many uh, opportunities there, right? Everybody would love to get behind that story because it is kind of the underdog story. And Mookie's such a great guy. He has this super famous brother that was a, a superstar in the sport too. And I think you know, similarly to like Bubba Wallace and NASCAR, where you have a minority in a sport that is also supremely talented. Like he has so much ability. I just think it gives this unique avenue uh, that he can really not only use to his advantage, but I think it, it shines such a great light on our sport that anybody can make it in the sport, right? Anybody, just because, you know, you've never raced a dirt bike before or even seen it, like that's an opportunity can really, um, I think, make the most of that and draw a lot of mainstream media 
into our sport. And, and the same thing happened with James. Uh, I, I just think it would be really, really cool to see Mookie do well. There's just there are so many storylines coming from James's legacy uh, that would really propel the sport forward. And I, th- I just think it would be a huge plus for everybody. Plus, on top of that, anybody who knows Mookie, he's like the most lighthearted, easygoing guy ever. And uh, I think it would be cool to see him get his first win in 2022. I don't think I have any other notes on anybody else. Um, 250 guys, I'm not going to really cover in this. You know, I, I think the, the only note I would make is I don't love the fact that the Monster Star Yamaha guys are not using their number one plates. On a pure marketing play, I think it's crazy. If I'm Yamaha, I'm like, yeah, yeah you're running your number one. Uh, Colt Nichols, you will be riding the East and Justin Cooper, you will be riding the West because that's where your number one plate is. And we want number one plates on Yamaha motorcycles. Now I've gotten pushback from my friends and, you know, other guys that are in our fantasy team, Parabinos and and Mathis and these guys, they don't agree with that. And that's okay. Like, I don't think there's a right or a wrong to it. I just think, listen, you guys are great. You won titles for a reason. Go use your number one plates and go win another one. Monster Share Yamaha is trying to be strategic and best place their guys for success in 2022. I, I get it. I understand. They are hoping to win in 2022, not necessarily put as much emphasis on the success they had in 2021 with their number one plates. And I guess the question is, do you value having those number one plates on the racetrack or not? I do. I think that's a huge deal. Having television and then you know 30 40 50,000 people in the stands all seeing that number one on a Yamaha each week I think there's a ton of value there marketing wise that's just my personal belief uh, we'll see if if those guys go win titles again on their respective coasts in 2022 then I think they were proven right their their strategy was proven right but if they don't then they sacrifice great opportunities to have number one they would have think about that they would have a number one plate on a 250 at every single round in 2022. I just think that's a really powerful tool that they're kind of leaving on the table. So whatever. Uh, Fantasy-wise, guys, if you are not, if you've never tried fantasy before, I couldn't recommend it any more highly. It really adds so much to every Saturday night. You know, battles that you would never care about in qualifiers and in the main events, you're suddenly you know, paying so much attention to because your fantasy team is riding on their success and failure. You get to know a lot of the privateers and their stories so much more because you have to decide whether you're willing to risk your fantasy team's success or not on them. Guys like Alex Ray and Cade Clayson and a lot of these guys that, you know, big picture for the mainstream, they wouldn't care. Nobody would care. I know because I I live that life, but fantasy wise, they can be the most important racer on the racetrack. Uh, and I think that's really cool. I think it gives them a ton more exposure. It makes them much more relevant, which is an awesome byproduct uh, of, you know, racing is, is fantasy. And I just think it adds a lot of fun to each Saturday night. So go to pulpamexfantasy.com. We're giving away a ton of uh, four Yamaha motorcycles throughout the season. There's weekly prizes. There are season prizes. Uh, Fly Racing has a, a great full head-to-toe package. We give away weekly prizes as well. We give away a Formula Helmet. Uh, there are so many sponsors that have all pitched in, uh, you know, pro glow wash is one of the, you know, what is a sponsor of this podcast, but they're also a sponsor of the, uh, the fantasy site dirt dreams gives away a vacation. Basically you get 
everything provided for you, a motorcycle, mountain bike, you know, four or five days of riding with Dan, Dan, Davey Vander Hayden in Utah. That's a really cool prize. There's a, there's a lot there to win. Uh, I think one of the most underrated aspects is even if you're not very good at this, right, but you want to give it a shot, you have a chance to win not only a TTR uh, Yamaha that we give away randomly after the first round. So we're giving that away in a week, a uh, week from tomorrow, as a matter of fact. And then we also give a, a 450 away just for signing up randomly, just a random draw. So you don't have to be great at this, but you spend your either $20 for Supercross or $35 for the entire year. You enter yourself for a chance to win a brand new motorcycle just randomly drawn out of a hat. So that's a, that's a really cool aspect too, because I think there are a lot of people that get discouraged. They don't think they can do well or whatever. That's enough of a chance right there, 20 or 30 bucks to, for a chance to win a 450, that's, that's, you don't find that every day. Um, and not only that, you're, you're helping us out. You're helping out Steve and I and Paul and Dan and everybody that, that run this fantasy website. And we certainly appreciate that. I have people that email me all the time. They say, man, I don't know that I'm any good at this, but I want to find a way to support you. So there's that. And then I also wanted to mention, uh, the Patreon podcast that I do. Uh, I do it every Saturday morning of race weekends. I give last minute updates, fantasy advice. Uh, we talk about the weather a little bit, if you know, going to rain, cause I'm on site, right? I'm in my hotel at the race event. And there are things that go on on Thursday and Friday after we do our last shows, guys crash, guys show up sick. There are, you know, maybe they got in a fight with their girlfriend. There's always, there are always rumors that are happening at the racetrack on Friday because I'm at the track there that I will bring to you on Saturday morning before the race and it's patreon.com slash industry seating. And yeah, it costs a couple dollars a month, whatever. I know it costs money. I'm not saying everybody has to do it, but if you want to get some last minute advice and what I, what I think going into race day right then you can check that out and sign up. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've been doing that for a year now. I really enjoy it too, because it gives me a way to share information at the last minute and my, my real thoughts uh, on race day morning. So check that out, patreon.com slash industry seating. Uh, Sponsor-wise of this podcast, I did want to share a message from uh, ProGlow Wash. And it's 2022 and you're still using dish soap to clean dirt and mud off your car, truck, motorcycle, quad, or UTV. Come on. Use ProGlow line of products to keep your ride looking like new. ProGlow Power Sports Wash was designed and specifically formulated to target mud, clay, grime, or any other material you might encounter. Whether on the street, trail, or track, ProGlow Power Sports Wash uses proprietary technology to chemically break down and remove dirt from surfaces, something that other soaps or cleaners just aren't able to do. The fully active granular blend easily dissolves in water and is the most concentrated product available on the market today. Do you have oil or grease mixed in? And we all know like what we're talking about here, right? Think about your chain lube on your swing arm or on your wheel. Like that stuff's like impossible to get off uh, with just like simple green or dish soap or whatever. That's what ProGlow does well. ProGlow degreaser removes oil and dirt. Mix it, it mixes with ease and can be used alongside or separate from Power Sports Wash to return your, your ride to a new look. So there's two products here. There's a ProGlow Wash and the ProGlow degreaser. All ProGlow products are environmentally friendly, safe for all surfaces and finishes, and developed, packaged, and supported by motorsports and power sports people. Check them out on social media and stay tuned for new products being released in 2022. ProGlow is a proud sponsor of the Industry Seating Podcast. Thank you very much. 
and they want to save you money. So if you want to use the pro, the code MOTO15 at checkout, go to goproglow.com and save 15% off your purchase. So thank you to those guys. And uh, Ryan, I got to hang out with him at a Dallas Cowboys game earlier this year. That was a great time. And yeah, I just want to, uh, I'm going to kind of do one of those each week, a specific read for each company and make sure that I'm getting you as familiar and doing my job to share their message and their information. And also you can just support these, support these companies, right? They are supporting the sport. They're, you know, they're, they're moto people just like we are. And I want to make sure that, uh, that I'm getting you guys more familiar. So Pirelli, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, use that Pro Launch start device. You can almost guarantee that one of those things is going to be hole shotting in Anaheim next weekend. Use that promo code JT21. Grant Stone Boots got to wear those on New Year's Eve. Uh, had some, uh, some wing tips that looked pretty sweet. Uh, so check out Grant Stone Boots. And then Fly Racing, of course. You know, that's my main day job is Fly Racing, flyracing.com. We will have some LE gear coming out for A1, so check that out as well. So that's it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll be coming to you. Well, I'll have the Patreon podcast next Saturday, so check that out. And then, yeah, another episode covering A1 next Sunday. Thanks again. See you.